0: This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Happy to be back for another day with all of you. Good show coming up. John Martholler, uh, local soccer writer, podcaster. He's written for the Star Tribune quite a bit, and has a piece, a couple pieces actually in today's paper and on StarTribune.com about what comes next for um, for the U.S. women's national team after their early exit from the World Cup. Also gives you some options for who to watch in the uh, in the World Cup now that the U.S. is out. He and I will talk about some of those things here in just a little bit, but you can also go read those, like I said, Star Tribune, John and I will also talk about Minnesota United. They've been doing pretty well lately, scoring a lot of goals. Leagues, Cup, um, action heating up, um, match later on here against uh, Toluca uh, tonight, uh, FS1 and Allianz Field, so check that out. And so John and I will talk about all those things here in just a little bit. Have a wild thought at the end of the show. I mean, not a wild thought, a thought about the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> I just had to correct myself because it sounded like it was a crazy thought. I've got the end of the show. It's not that crazy. Hopefully, it's somewhat poignant about Matt Dumba and moving on from the Wild after a decade. First, though, what did I miss? Got some Vikings and some Twins at the beginning. we got to start with the Twins. They stay red hot. They beat... The Tigers 9-3, one of those nice little, nice blowouts. It's been nice to have some some laughers, as we call them, lately. They had one against the Diamondbacks, I believe it was the Saturday game, where they just you know, jumped all over them early and could kind of coast the rest of the way. Don't have to expend a ton of bullpen energy. Can give some guys a little bit of rest towards the ends of games, things like that. And in this one got off to a 7 nothing lead, I think, after two innings couple of big home runs Ryan Jeffers who is becoming very important player for this year's team I think he's leading them in war among position players that certainly didn't go down after a three-run home run on Monday early in that game helped them build that big lead Um, he's become really important he's become um, a starting caliber catcher and more than that good defensively good receiver and the power lately has been great kind of makes you wish Maybe that they, they didn't have three years and thirty million dollars invested in Christian Vasquez, but Vasquez has been better lately. He's been lauded as a handler of the pitching, and the pitching has been so good. So maybe his value is still there. And you know, catcher is a position these days where I don't think you can have too much. You you want two good ones in a lot of cases, it's kind of like having two good goalies, kinda of like the wild seems like they have right now. With uh, with Mark Andre Flurry and Philip Gustafson and maybe eventually Jasper Walstead here, um, you don't you can, you can never have too much the, the timeshare that's required these days. The physical demands, the mental demands of a catcher and playing that position now these days has changed to the point where if you have a couple of guys that can catch eighty to hundred games, that is maybe the ideal setup. And Jeffers probably going to get some DH time here with Byron Buxton on the injured list and with how well he is hitting. So big home run for Jeffers in this game. Carlos Correa, a loud double for an RBI and a three-run homer to right field. Ball just kind of kept carrying. I think the wind was maybe blowing out a little bit in Detroit. Might have helped Correa's ball, but not taking anything away from it. They they would love to see him get going. He's had some better power numbers lately, some hitting with some balls harder, things like that. The biggest takeaway from this game, though, is that both of those three-run home runs a, they were three-run home runs, so they came with guys on base. They weren't just relying on solo home runs. That's not the only way they could do it, even though you know those were two home runs that gave them six total runs. And so they were still relying on the home run to a certain degree. But getting those guys on base in front of the home runs makes those home runs count even more. Turns this into a blowout instead of a laugher. Bigger thing though, instead of instead of a close game, I mean, the bigger thing though is that both those home runs came against left-handed starter. Um, they totally they they knocked out Detroit's left-handed starter. They've been struggling all year against good left-handed starters, mediocre ones, bad ones. It had not really mattered. Now they got the you know got to a couple of lefties lately, got some runs up on the board, maybe turning the tide just a little bit. Jordan Luplo, um waiver re- waiver uh, acquisition not too long ago here, a few days ago. Had three hits in the game. He is brought in specifically to hit lefty. So that piece of it looking up a little bit for them and everything else just generally looking up for them. Five and a half games up now on Cleveland in the AL Central. Just 48 games left for the Twins this season that's a pretty good size lead at this point in the year especially with the way everybody else in the division is trending a nice start from pablo lopez who got you know shut out seven shutout innings from pablo lopez he's really rounding into form as the season goes along looking like he can be a rotation you know top of the rotation mainstay for years to come so they've got to be feeling good about a lot of these things where just a week ago everything the sky was falling right Couldn't hit lefties. Didn't do anything at the all-star. Didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Um, Losing three in a row to Kansas City. You know, division lead down to a half game. It's funny how things can change in a week. Maybe they'll change again in another week. and We'll be talking about. Oh man, leads down to two. Can't hit lefties. Too reliant on the home runs. The starting pitching starting to crumble a little bit. You never know. Right now, though, it feels like they're going pretty good, and uh, feels like this will be a team that's starting to maybe trend upward over the last couple months of the season. Now, the Vikings, on the other hand, released their first depth chart. I want to get into that a little bit. Official, unofficial, however you want to term it. Head coach Kevin O'Connell warned us in no uncertain terms, do not read too much into this. Here was O'Connell generally speaking about the depth chart. And then I know we uh, officially or unofficially released the depth chart today. Uh, the first
1: one, while we're very much into uh, the competition, right in the meat of the competition phase of training camp, I would not uh, uh, over-evaluate any one particular area. Uh, We've got a lot of jobs guys are still fighting for, and, and we're going to allow not only our practices, but uh, joint practices and preseason games to play out before we make any final determinations.
0: Now he's right, of course, right? There's still a month before the regular season starts. They have not had a joint practice. They've not had a preseason game yet to even really see these guys in a, in a, in a real setting. So I get it. He's right. We, we're not going to read too much into this. But if we're going to read something into it, I think one area that we can kind of pick out is running back. So it's interesting to see how that depth chart shakes out. Alexander Madison at the top right now, number one. No Dalvin Cook anymore. He's been at the top of the depth chart when healthy pretty much since he came into the league six years ago. Now he's gone, of course um salary cap casualty moving on Alexander Madison here is the starter now number 2 on the depth chart right now is Kane Nwangu um you know guy with a lot of speed they've liked what they've seen from him over the years Ty Chandler who's been taking most of the reps in that spot and has been looking pretty good running the ball, but you don't have to read too far between the lines to figure out what Ty Chandler has been struggling with so far this year. He Here is Kevin O'Connell on the running back battle.
1: That would be one position that uh, that that uh, backup spot is 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 really fully uh, in the competition, and because of Kinney getting you know a little temporary setback, you know. We didn't want to, uh, you know, make any, you know, we, I can tell you that sheet of paper, we are not making any decisions at this point and really want to see those guys get a full body of work uh, before we determine overall what that position looks like. But, um, you know, Ty's been, Ty's been really solid in, in, in running the football and showing those instincts that we saw last year in the preseason uh, that we're excited about. And and he continues to grow from an understanding of protection and you know, what are my rules on this play pass protection versus that it's third down against this defense. And there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, it's been fun to see him stressed. There's been some times where he's handled it really clean. And then there's been other times we've you know, you see Curtis Modkins walking right up to him after uh, after that play ends. And, and those are all growth moments that we hope to see consistency is the word with a talented player like Ty and then with uh, with skill set. Uh, it's just getting him back and getting in, him into a groove so then you can start giving him the opportunity to show those things as well.
0: Ty Chandler wants playing time. He's going to have to get better in pass protection. It sounds like they are it's a work in progress. I think that's a that's a term to say it's not what they want right now. Um he's been running the ball really well, but you got to be able to hold up in pass protection. You don't want Kirk Cousins groaning and moaning on the ground in the quarterback sequel on Netflix, right? Um you remember Netflix uh, the quarterback documentary that came out not too long ago so many images and sounds of Kirk Cousins just laying on the ground after taking a big hit took the most hits in the NFL last season a lot of that's the offensive line. Some of that's the tight ends. Some of that's the running backs. they got to pick up kind of those free rushers, especially on third down. That can be a role for a backup running back. Ty Chandler sounds like he's got to get better at that if he's going to be on the field in certain situations. I think Alexander Madison is pretty good at it. He's at least a willing blocker, has been good at it in the past. So we'll see where that gets them, where that depth chart goes as they see more of Ty Chandler. When Wangu gets back on the field a little bit more and we can see what he does, but you got to be able to block. You can't just run the ball in this league. You got to be able to block, and that will go a long way to determining the final you know, for the final depth chart. Even if we promise that we're not overreacting right now. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to mgmwineandspirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Let's bring in John Marthaler, local soccer expert. I hope I can call you that. Um, Does a lot of writing and podcasting about soccer here in the Twin Cities, Had him on a couple weeks ago, maybe it was, before the World Cup started. Um, John, it feels like everything you said before the World Cup started, especially about the U.S. team, more or less came true. And yet it still feels disappointing that they're out in the round of 16. Um, Explain why I feel that way. Well, I think it's fair to say with the U.S. women's national team there's
2: always sort of a desire to find a find a crack in the facade with a team that has won the last two World Cups. And so before the World Cup, we looked at them and said, well, they've got a lot of players out hurt. They're sort of they're in in between eras a little bit. They've got some older players. They've got some younger players. I did not think their defense would be good. And I was wrong about that because they only gave up one goal in four games. So Naomi Girma was the, hmm. the star of the tournament for the US women's national team she's 23 years old and she's going to be the starting and center back for the Americans for the next dozen years. Um but at the same time you say all these things we said a lot of the same things before 2019 when they were talking about repeating and they just came back and won the whole thing. So I think for the for the most part we could find a lot of reasons before the tournament that the US maybe wouldn't win, but I think there was still some expectation that even if they didn't win, they would be there or thereabouts because they're always there or thereabouts. They've never finished worse than third at the World Cup. This is by two rounds their worst showing ever. So to have them go out on penalties to Sweden again, this happened in the 2016 Olympics and it's happened again here. It's obviously disappointing. And I think the other thing that was particularly disappointing, not just about the result, but the way they played was frustrating and confusing in a lot of ways. So even even for the result, I think it was disappointing overall.
0: Yeah, I think that's and I think that's fair to say. And you know, we, we've talked we talked going in about you know kind of like you said between eras a little bit, and you know some of the some of some of the up and comers that they hoped to kind of showcase and carry the torch and kind of become that next generation. Some of those players were hurt. Maybe some of them weren't quite ready for an elevated role. But you know, at, at the same time, I mean, does is it is it that simple? Are they just kind of like, ah, you know, even like great college basketball program, if we might have a parallel, like might be kind of like might have a down year or two. And it just happens in this case to be during a world cup cycle or, are, are there kind of bigger signs of worry that, Hey, like, you know, the Olympics next year, the world cup again in four years, it might be the same story, or at least it's, it's going to be a lot harder than it ever was.
2: Yeah. I think, I think that most of the people who watch this team, and I'm as guilty of this as anyone are, uh, you know, in a few ways are bending, bending things to fit the narrative of the world, catching up with the United States. I've written about this before. And in some ways that's true in the sense that other countries are investing in this. Now I, I was listening to the podcast you did with Pat Rosie, and he was mentioning that in 1991, when the world cup started, there was nobody paying it. There was, Very few countries were actually paying attention to this. It was not the U S taking on the greats of world soccer because those countries were not paying as much attention. Now, now there's a been a sort of that interest gap is closed. That, that attention gap is closed a lot. Women's soccer is more popular than it's ever been in a lot of different places around the world. So, in one sense, that U.S. advantage is gone, and some of the other advantages they've had, whether it was from having college soccer as a youth development system, from having a deep professional league, those those gaps have eroded a little bit as well. So, some of the stuff that the U.S. was lucky on in the fact that they were starting with college soccer as a development system, whereas nobody else in the world had anything going on, and that and that interest gap is keep going. Some of that stuff has gone away a little bit, and so. Talking about how the, the U.S. has let the rest of the world catch up, it, it's not so much anything the U.S. could have prevented as the rest of the world finally getting to where the U.S. always was. What they have to do now and what they're going to have to figure out is how can they continue to continue to develop things in the best way without falling behind these countries that are finally starting to take an interest and I'm especially talking about the European powers, like whether it's England or the Netherlands or even the countries that still haven't caught up like Italy or Argentina or even Portugal a little bit that still have some development work to do. But as, as women, women's soccer is only going to grow towards that and towards those countries being involved in this.
0: All that aside Tactically speaking, I think there's been questions about this team in the past, and they kind of overcame that with their excellence, with their attitude, with just the the belief and really the, you know, the results that they were just better than everybody else. Now that the gap has narrowed, maybe some of the tactical ideas, some of the coaching they're getting, that gets exposed more. What what did you think about that? I mean it, I mean from what you wrote in, you know, it's online, com and in Tuesday's paper, I believe, once you wrote him, mean, basically, like, they're probably going to be looking for a new coach, because this just, this cycle just did not go well, and they looked outclassed in a lot of ways from a tactical standpoint.
2: Yeah, you can say whatever you want about Vladko and Danofsky, their coach, but if you have the worst ever U.S. performance at a major tournament, he's there's no way he's going to stick around. Everyone expects him to get fired. I don't think, as we're talking right now, I don't think he's officially been let go, but... I don't think there's any chance that he's going to stick around as a coach. He's been he's been around for an entire Olympic slash World Cup cycle. Keeping him on to go to the Olympics next year just seems pointless at this point. Um, I don't know. I don't know where they'll go next. But in this tournament, the, the knockout round game against Sweden, they finally switched it up a little bit and played a different formation. But the first three games, they stuck with virtually the same lineup. It was virtually the same setup where they were basically playing five people up front and five people in the back and nobody in between and just trying to play the ball up the wings and hoping for wings to beat people off the dribble and create something from there. It just, it was a strange use of what you would have thought would be some talent they had in the midfield, whether it's Roosevelt or Lindsay or Ant, to actually control the ball and get on the ball in the midfield. They just sort of gave that up and both Portugal and the Netherlands just sort of overran them there. And Not being able to make that adjustment or make a substitute or do
0: anything to affect that really is what ended up hurting them. That makes sense. And if we were talking about just, you know, we're talking about, you know, tactics, we're talking about things like that. I mean, any, you know, how much to your, um, you know, maybe this wouldn't have mattered too much in the end, but, you know, finishing second in the group, which, you know, was necessitated by those last two draws and they got passed by the Netherlands, if they could have beaten Portugal they'd be you know they'd be ahead in in the group more or less um if if that's if that's different how how do you how do you imagine um the result whether the result have been different if they got to play the the lesser team they didn't see Sweden right away or or is this just an, an inevitability that they would have gotten exposed at some point
2: well I I I'm, I'm trying to remember the bracket off the top of my head. I'm pretty sure the Netherlands who won the group ended up playing South Africa, which would have been an easier game for sure. And I think you, while the U S and Sweden, it was a little bit more evenly matched because there's always the chance of what happened happening, especially with Sweden, which has been sort of an emesis for the U S South Africa. I think the U S would have been heavily favored. That said, the Netherlands is coming up against Spain in the next round. So Spain is Spain is Spain, and they've got their own problems, but I don't think you would have looked at the U S and said, well, now that they've only got to go through Spain. And then I think I can't remember who Japan, maybe in the next round, they would have been in the same side of the bracket. Anyway, getting those teams, I don't think you would have looked at it and said, well, they would have had a very easy run through right. the tournament, but if, if only they hadn't had to
0: play Sweden, they would have come up against this kind of problem at some point anyway. So a couple more things on this that I want to pick your brain on a couple of Minnesota United questions before we go. Um, we know what happened right now. We know this wasn't their year for whatever combination of things that happened. You know, as we think, though, about one year out, four years out, if we're thinking about the Olympics, we're thinking about the next World Cup. What, you know, what is what's optimistic still about this about this team? And what and what are the particular challenges as they try to kind of get back at least to this spot that they want to be?
2: Yeah, we're 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 sort of on the verge of that generational change that we talked about Especially when you're talking about the players, some of the faces that everybody that everybody knows are going to be gone. Megan Rapinoe retired right after her final World Cup game. Julie Ertz has already said that she's done with the national team. Alex Morgan said, did not retire, specifically said she was going to keep going, but she'll be 38 the next time the World Cup comes around, and I can't imagine that we'll see her again at a World Cup. So some of, these, some of the young players, we mentioned Naomi Girma, they have a lot of young attackers. Uh, Sophia Smith was obviously one of the one of the standouts. Trinity Rodman was in the starting lineup most of the games as well. But they've got Alyssa Thompson. She was just 18 years old at this World Cup. She didn't get a lot of playing time, but obviously she's one of the N- NWSLs up-and-coming attackers. And then we talked a lot about injuries, but Mallory Swanson was their breakout star last year. She's 25. Katerina Macario was sort of the the next big thing. She was injured. She's 23. So these are, these are attacking players that they're going to depend, depend on in the next cycle. And when, when you move back a little bit, they still have players like Lindsey ran is on the right side of 30. Rose Lavelle is, I think just past 30. Some of the other players, Chris, you know, obviously players, <laughs> players in all sports age better than they used to. They age better than when, when we were kids, but some of the other players like Crystal Dunn are on the wrong side of 30 but still in that still in sort of that prime that they're still potentially going to be part of the team for the next 1 to 4 years. So they they they've still got a core. It's just a matter of getting back to doing what they do well and it
0: also depends on who the no, new coach is cuz we don't know where they're going to go with that. So these aren't players like on 1960s tops baseball cards or old hockey cards that are Twenty eight, but look like they're sixty two. <laughs> <laughs> I know <laughs> every one of them looks like they've been smoking four packs a day since they were twelve years old. <laughs> those old, those old baseball cards are just so depressing. And then hockey, old hockey goalies—they they took a lot of. I mean, they didn't wear masks. They didn't wear masks for a while. John, who was, remember, it was crazy, you remember Keith
2: Atherton from like the eighty seven Yeah.
0: With the, do you have the big
2: glasses? Do You have big yes. glasses. Yeah. We should we should look it up because he probably was like twenty
0: two years old, but he looked like he was thirty nine years old at least, at least. Um so if you're if, say you're you you've only been watching the US matches but now that of course is not possible anymore who should you be either rooting for interested in because this this cup is far from over we still got a couple weeks left what what else is there to watch
2: Well I think the most fun team to watch right now is Australia just in terms of the viewing experience because they're the home team and the whole country is getting behind them you and I both have young kids. I don't know if you have Disney, but your kids probably love Australia already. If they love bluey that, that one's for all the, all the dads out there. Yes. We can talk about bluey all night, but we're blue in the face. (laughs) Sorry. Dad joke. joke. It's a dad joke. Well, it's part of the dad segment of the part of the dad genre. It's what we do. I, I think Australia is the most fun team to root for right now. I think the best team left in the tournament is Japan. They, I, I wouldn't say they were one of the favorites coming in but they've absolutely been the best team at the tournament so far they dominated the group stage they waxed Norway the other day in the in in the first game they got Sweden next and I I think they're the team to be right now and as far as other rooting interests you, you've got a couple of underdogs left as we're talking right now Morocco's still in the tournament Jamaica's still in the tournament Colombia is still in the tournament Colombia plays Jamaica so one of those teams will still be left Morocco plays France. Tonight, later tonight, by the by the time this podcast is around you'll know who won. But, um, those underdog stories I think are still something to root for as well. Because beyond that, you've got a lot of sort of traditional European powers, and I at least for me, Europe gets everything in soccer. I yes, they do. I, you, you get tired of hearing about Europe. I'm anybody but UEFA. That's that's the bandwagon that I'm on. And so as the tournament goes on, it's underdogs. It's Japan and of course cheering for the home team in Australia, I think, is always fun.
0: Couple of loons questions for you before we go, John Marthaler. Have, have they found something special here in in Bongi, or is this just he's a, he's a League's Cup uh, phenomenon? He's got what six goals in these three League's Cup matches, but he's also played pretty well. He's 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 scoring. He's got fourteen total goals this year, I think. Like what how, what, what do we what do we think of of what he's providing, and is this sustainable?
2: Well, I mean, scoring six goals on the wing in MLS is pretty good regardless, but if, if you look at his sort of underlying numbers and his expected goals numbers, he's been maybe the best winger in MLS this season in terms of getting into the positions to score. He just hasn't had that finishing. You put him in a cup competition and he can do nothing but score. He's got six goals and three matches in the league. Scott, he scored two in a US Open Cup game against Philadelphia earlier this year. It's 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 if he can get that that finishing has been unbelievable in the league's cup if he had that finishing in MLS people he would have been an all-star this year people would be talking about him as one of the best young players in the whole league so even even without those goal numbers in MLS I think they've they've really they've really got something good this year last year it was his first year in America he couldn't he couldn't buy a goal by the middle of the year. You were just sort of hoping that somebody would try to, a goal kick would rebound off him and go in the net just so that he could score <laughs> a goal and get, get sort of off the night a little bit. But now this year he's, he's scoring goals for fun. He, he seems like he and Emmanuel Reno, have a great connection. It's just, it, it's everything they want from him right now.
0: How is, uh how is their, their finish uh, young, uh, not so young anymore. Um, uh timo Puki, how has he looked so far he's, he's young compared to you and me but i, wouldn't I know say he's i know young
2: compared I, to we, and else.
0: it's funny we, we talk about athletes like they're old when they're like kirk cousins going to turn 35 soon like we all said yep. like ah he's going to be not so good than him like he's like a full decade and a year younger than me so i'm yeah you know, i was just nothing. talking <laughs> about
2: u.s women's <laughs> national Teamers. oh they're getting close to 30 yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, their they're birthday they're, they're, they're doing like fine. 1995 they're
0: okay. yeah exactly yeah
2: Anyway, but
0: Timo Pukki, how's what's your impression of him?
2: Is, so far, he's he, he he's a little bit. He looks he looks old. So far, I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna lie. We'll we'll see how he rounds into into shape. He just finished a, an entire season in the English Championship, which yeah. is known for being maybe the most grueling league in the world. So it's it's a little bit disingenuous to just say, well, you know, he he looks like he's old and tired well he's he is tired he played how many games this year in in england and then came over here but that said in one of his first games he had a breakaway and scored which automatically puts him above about four mnuc <laughs> forwards in the past he's above mender garcia who's still is still around he's had Mender Garcia's had about four breakaways this year and hasn't scored on any of them. Adrian Unu had about fifteen. It seemed like last season and never scored. So just by his ability to beat the keeper one on one, he's
0: one of the best forwards MNUFC UFC has ever had. That's a uh, it's faint praise because they've been searching for that uh, that finishing forward for about five years since they. It's it's the curse of Christian Ramirez still, right? Yep, and Christian Ramirez scored in the league's cup game the other, ga-
2: the other day against of course him, so... he did, of course he did well. It was...
0: Yeah, I, I still I still don't make don't know what to make of the loons this year, but they're 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 a little bit more interesting now that they're scoring a little bit more. If they can never if they can never figure that out, it, they'll 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 perhaps be dangerous. But it is still the eternal question of will they get enough offense, especially when it matters the most.
2: And you know this, the league's cup is fun because they just they just won effectively a playoff game. They won a knockout round game. There you go. So there you, there go.
0: you go. Well for all things soccer we always turn to john Marthaler. appreciate the time again today uh, am i in well the five-timers we'll, uh, club now what's that am i in the five-timers club now i don't know if you are i've got a patch for you i've still got some oh, patches yes. if you'd like one Finally. If you'd like when one. did yeah i got my members only jacket ready and there you go we'll, we'll attach it to I, I got chris Hine the jacket with the with the patch on it but the <laughs> I, I offered to other people nobody else seemed as interested in it as chris Hine. i think he's got the he, he was the first one and he kind of has that Saturday Night Live history. He wanted he wanted the jacket pretty bad. So I don't know if he still wears it or not. But I can get you the patch I'm, at the very least. We've got some extra patches. Yes, that's all I've
2: ever wanted. Okay. I can be
0: I can be done now. Awesome. All right. Thanks again, John. We'll see you soon. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from John. I think bottom line is the U.S. women are going to be fine. I think this was just kind of a down cycle, a, a confluence of factors that caused them to get bounced early. The the rest of the world catching up to a certain degree. The U.S. Kind of being between, kind of between rosters right now. Maybe too a little bit too much young, a little bit too much old, not enough in the middle. That won't be the case in four years. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of invested in this. I think by twenty twenty seven in the World Cup, we will see a much different story. But they've got to go out and do it. They got to get better tactically. Seems like they might need a new coach. Maybe definitely need a new coach. And they've got to they got to reckon with their place in soccer right now as it stands. Let's finish with the cooler. I don't want to just let Matt Dumba's departure go, because we haven't really talked about it that much. Didn't get into it with Roycey on Monday. But <clears throat> even if we knew this was coming, we knew Matt Dumba was not going to be with the Wild this year because of the way the salary cap shakes out. He signed like a one-year, about a $4 million deal with Arizona. Even that's too much for the Wild right now, unless they would have traded somebody or shed some other salary. They've got young guys coming in, Brock Faber, Kalen Addison. Those guys can fill his minutes. But it's a guy that played almost 600 career games, in Minnesota, over a decade, almost fifty playoff games. this is a guy who's been a mainstay, kind of a bridge to that past era, that suter Parisi era that tried but didn't quite get over the hump. a lot of playoff appearances, couple first round advancements, but nothing more than that he's He's kind of a bridge to that now he's gone guy who was you know really good on the ice. Really important off the ice, I think about 2020, his work with social justice, racial justice in the wake of the killing of George Floyd. His involvement in the community has been very important. His play on the ice has been very important. He will be missed here, and sometimes even when it's a foregone conclusion that someone will be gone, we tend to kind of breeze past the exit, and I don't want to do that because Matt Dumba deserves a little bit more than that at the very least, so I will be curious to see how they make up for what they are losing from him on and off the ice that will do it for me today thanks for joining me on today's show i'm expected to be joined by timberwolves assistant coach longtime college basketball and pro basketball standout corliss williamson on wednesday's show Um, i gotta pick his brain on a bunch of stuff that should be a fun conversation so listen for that until then i'm michael rand back at it again tomorrow